0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Miriam Knight, and my guest today is Mona Delfino. Mona is an energy medicine practitioner and a medicine woman in the Native American Nemenha Church, and she's worked on thousands of people across the world. She's a healer, shaman, author, and speaker, and takes medical intuition to a whole new level. Mona is bilingual in the sacred language of the human body, which just happens to be the title of her book.
1: Welcome, Mona. Thank you, Miriam. Oh, it is such a pleasure to be here with you and your audience. Thank you for having me on your show today. What an exciting time.
0: Well, this is an exciting time, and you have some exciting information to share <laughs> with us. So I'm just very excited to get people to hear your story, and hear your messages. So why don't we jump right in? Tell us how you became a healer. How did you discover that you were a healer? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you know, Miriam, a lot of times people ask me that question and it's it started very, very early in my childhood. I was actually six months old and I came alive in consciousness, actually in my crib. And I, when I was six months, I had a brother named Danny who was three years older than me. And this was in 1958. And my brother ended up uh, having to go into the hospital because he had too big of a heart. Can you imagine? And he was an albino. We had like six kids in the family and he was albino so he his heart was spongy it wasn't pumping enough when they did the surgery on him he was the first heart transplant patient in los angeles at that time that was of his age so what they did is they did the surgery and he passed on the table so when my brother died i realized later in life that actually there was a contract made he passed i came in and then at six months, I woke up in consciousness and I was able to actually, you know, see everything in my in the bedroom that I was in. I could look out the crib and I could look inside. I looked at my fingers, I looked at my toes, and I remember looking at everything and then even seeing my grandmother come into the room. So there was a lot of that that was waking up even back then. Now I found out later in life that's not so uh uncommon that you know children do this and more so today. But at that time, that was news for me because. I was coming into a consciousness. And so from that moment on, I knew down deep inside, I had a mission. I knew that everything I watched, I could be an observer. So this is where it started. And I observed my family, I observed my sisters, and who wouldn't want to observe when they're getting in trouble how not to get in trouble by their parents. (laughs) You must have had quite an interesting childhood. Oh, oh, we don't have enough time, honey. (laughs) But yeah, so the, the real big thing that I noticed was more importantly was when I started to grow up and at six years old, I had what they call a light experience. And that was where I found out later in life that that's actually a mystical experience that happens to people who are born mystics. Now, I had no idea. I was just living my little life and living in Los Angeles at the time. Remember those, we had air raids that would come on. Remember that? And then there was like, it was after the Bay of Pigs with you know John F. Kennedy and all that time I was six years old. And I remember being in the front yard and I was playing with a blade of grass and my vision turned completely white I, had, I couldn't see anything this lasted for about two minutes I wasn't able to witness anything going on around me it was just white, white, white and when the second I started to become afraid I heard a voice and that voice came through me like I can remember it like yesterday it doesn't have any tone to it it's just a voice and it said to me you know, don't worry you're fine. And I remember it just saying, be at peace, be calm. And so, and I did, I went right into like a calming state as I still could not see across the street. Now, as soon as I went into a calm state, my vision came back. So there was some connection once again, that was back in those days. That was really kind of making me, you know, keep on going into this realm. And so this is how I started. I started out this way. And then through my life, I am now 57 years old. And through that time, I've been doing massage therapy. Uh, um, but because I've been doing massage for 32 years, but because it started the day that I became a massage therapist, the transference effect started to really intervene. In other words, what that means is laying your hands on people. As you all know, you, know, you pick up their energy. You can literally pick it up and... And then you become it. And I had to learn the hard way. (laughs) So I ended up having lots of crazy experiences from the beginning part of doing that. But before that, I was actually a nurse for seven years. I was having children. You know, I was going through, uh, like everybody else, just living my life. But every experience I had was becoming more determined that I was actually a natural healer more and more. And there were times I backed out, you know, and times I thought, oh, no, no, it can't be. That's not, you know. And then... Other people would say, what the heck? I'd walk into a room and they would start saying that they felt different. So these are the things that started way back in time. So I paid attention. And I have one really neat story if we have a few minutes. It's just uh, I walked into I was working in the hospital and in my nursing days, and I went in to do uh, the vitals on one of the patients that was in one of the beds who had just come in, and he was in a coma. He had 106 temperature, so he was spiking high. So I went ahead and I did his his, uh, vitals. And what I found out from there was that he was actually communicating with me. And at the time, this is the crazy part, I was reading Bernie Siegel's book called love life or love medicine and miracles. Mm -hmm. And I was reading that and he was talking about coma patients and, and ironically there I was with one. And then, so what had happened was I was just doing the vitals and this guy's energy went into my field. I immediately picked up on the guy being in a coma and I actually closed my eyes. And in that second, I saw him standing in front of me and asking me what am I supposed to do now? And at that point, it scared the, you know, what out of me. And I threw the stethoscope up in the air and I started throwing the, I gotta get out of here. This is too weird. So I ran out of the room, but I'll tell you what, that experience made me have to get more intrigued with what was happening with coma patients. So I went back in and I started talking to him from that level without being afraid anymore. And he eventually died. He didn't live. But that person who never spoke to me in the physical form was one of my favorite teachers. So from that moment on, I became more intrigued with what I was capable of doing, and I went from there. So that was way back in 94.
0: Now, you told another story about how you actually took on the coloration of somebody who had hepatitis C. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you seem to have taken uh, being an empath to a whole new level. Is, is being an empath sort of part and parcel of being a healer?
1: Yeah, it's it's all in the same realm because your sensitivity level is high. Whenever anybody becomes what they call an empath, that means your sensitivity is high and you're attracting things to you to learn from, just like everybody does. Everybody listens and they pay attention to any experience that they have. But empaths have a direct contact with a sensitive world. And, and what that means is that they pick up more. Uh, Whatever kind of energy is around them, they can pick up from other people. In other words, yeah, they can actually come on with these quick onsets, of, of any kind of difficulty or condition. And they think it's theirs. And then they get freaked out because they say, Oh my gosh. And you know, you know, Miriam, the thing I've noticed, I, I teach a lot of massage therapists, how to run energy and how to really understand it because they can burn out very quickly. Um, but massage therapists, um, they'll come in and they'll say, well, you know, how do I get over this? And I'll say, well, actually what you do is you just, you accept it, but you know that it's not yours. What you do is you just recognize this is not yours. Now, you may feel it but that just means that you're coming into contact with their realm or you know whatever you want to call it their electromagnetic field you're you're coming into contact with that and you're you're actually having a different vibration inside of you that's able to help that person so any empath that uh, understands the sensitivity they can actually understand themselves better if they detach from the idea that something might be theirs Mm -hmm. You see, it's about recognizing or consciously accepting that this is the way things are in your life. But that doesn't mean you have to be afraid of it or, you know, show a cross to the gods and say, I don't want this, you know, because you're going to get it as part of your life. So as the healer, do you kind of transmute that energy Yes. uh-huh mm-hmm. yes honey you transmute it through connection uh one of the biggest things about being a healer you know and more so even in today's world because it's a huge responsibility that we have on us to do it but it's also one of the most rewarding experiences uh i had a cherokee mentor uh karen land you know for 12 years and that woman taught me like there was no tomorrow i i was in the hot seat i can't even tell you how many times <laughs> But a lot of it was because I was learning so much. And if I didn't get it, she would definitely, you know, as the Indian way does for us, you know, she would definitely come in and say, that's enough. Now, this is what I told you, go for it. And then you'd be put on the spot. And a lot of people couldn't handle that. But I was one of those people who kept taking it until I learned it. And I'm really glad I did because now I'm able to express it to other people who can learn just as much as I did. But we, you know, the whole thing is connection, connection to yourself, connection to an understanding. I call it where two or more are gathered. And if you understand that, then you go, oh, okay. so what you're doing is you're connecting to everything and you don't become afraid of it. You realize that it's just a connection. And what's better than a connection? You know, when you stop to think about it, you're learning, you're experiencing. You're transforming. And in today's world, Miriam, this is exactly what is happening to people. We are in a place of change that is beyond anything we've ever done before in humanity. And you know what? It's exciting. A lot of people will say they're going through hell and high water. I'll turn around and say, yeah, isn't it great? (laughs) (laughs) Imagine, high water. (laughs) It it, it sounds very much like
0: the psychic connection. And Mm -hmm. I guess it's just a question of what you do with it. The psychics just give information that may be healing to the individual. And a healer kind of, I guess, would you say that you reflect back to the person um, the perfect state that they can achieve? How how does that work?
1: Absolutely. It's It's an acceptance of mirroring. And what's happening is an acceptance of mirroring. So it means that those people that you're working with are people that you're going to have a connection with. It, It becomes a bond. I've worked on thousands and thousands of people over 35 years. And I can tell you that it's actually a bond. People will call me today after not talking to me for 20 years, and I will remember them. I'll remember their story, which is crazy. But yet, inside of my consciousness, there's a memory. So it's awesome. And I can talk more about that.
0: Yeah, because we are going to break. And I'd like to remind you that we're speaking to Mona Delfino, the author of Sacred Language of the Human Body. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Mona, do you have a website?
1: Oh, yeah, sure, Miriam. And uh, it's www.sacredreconnections.com. And that's with an S, Sacred Reconnections.
0: Now, when I introduced you, I mentioned that you were a medicine woman in the Native American Nimenha Church. Yes.
1: What is that? Oh my goodness! Well, let me tell you the exciting news about that. What it is is it is actually the Nimenha are medicine men and women that are members of a sacred order of like-minded ministers and healers who dedicate themselves to healing an individual, a family a community, society, and, of course, the earth. And so this is what we call an all-encompassing five-fold mission. And the Nimenha people, this is the part I love so much, are the ones who are Chief Joseph's bloodline. So the ones that actually started it again, to come back to the Sahaptan way that Chief Joseph was actually beginning when he got caught up in the war and died, they're bringing it back. So they're bringing back Chief Joseph's teachings and it's through the actual bloodline. So our chief is Chief Cloudpiler. Fabulous. Fabulous person, and he is funny. He's comical at the same time. He means business, so he's fabulous. And then his son Jonathan is also teaching a healing way that is the Sahaptin way that um, is coming through now. And so you know they're available uh, to come and teach in your area as well. Now I just had him here about two weeks ago. Um, I went to see them in April. Uh, if anybody knows Norm Shealy, Doctor Norm Shealy, Norm works very tight with the Nimenha. and he is also a medicine man with them. And so. I, I agree. I think it's all about the teaching on how to understand what we would talk about the medicine wheel, and that the north, south, east, and west all have a meaning. So they do for all tribes, but the Nimanha actually incorporate that with the physical body, and it's so much fun because when you look at it, you go, oh, the south is all about bones, muscle, you know, and and tendons and ligaments, things like that. And then you go around the the wheel. The hoop itself is the nervous system, so it actually has its very own identification. So if we work with the wheel, you become more sustainable within yourself. And as a healer, it's important because you don't want to go out healing everybody. As we know, as a healer, you can burn out very quickly. So with the Nimenha, I found that it's more important to understand the wheel because then you can look at it from the direction of where you're seeing the person and then you can chart it. You can actually chart the wheel for each person and outside the circle means an imbalance. So it's that kind of thing. So it's just a fabulous way of learning, and I am very proud to be Nimenha medicine woman.
0: Do you have to be Native American to be? No,
1: American? no, no, no. The, the beautiful part about this, Miriam, is that anybody can become a medicine woman or a medicine man, you actually become a minister. What happens is they say, this is your ministry. So it's not, I'm a healer. It's, this is my ministry and this is how we work. And then a lot of times, you know, if anybody gets in trouble, you know, by the, by the government, they come to you. They come to your rescue. They'll be there for you at all times. Uh, Chief Cloudpiler has been through a lot and he served his time without you know, being, it wasn't his fault, so to speak. And so, but he served his time and he went to the Supreme Court a few years ago and he got their power back. So I applaud him for that because actually now they can actually put you in and spiritually adopt you, no matter who you are, it's free to everybody and everybody gets to keep their religion and everybody gets to keep their, their faith. And you know, the most important thing you get to do your job and do it well, but this time you learn through sustainability, which is what I feel is absolutely needed Miriam in today's world Um, most people don't understand sustainability and the thing that we need to learn I think as a human race and this is me talking but I really feel that sustainability is going to help us understand how not to burn out because as you and I both know the changes that are here are developing more and more each day we wake up there's something new developing and so if we start to come from the same way we've always been We're going to fall apart. And I see more and more people not being able to understand. Then they feel they're going crazy, you know, and it's not that they're going crazy. What's happening is we are being encouraged by the universe as well from the cosmos, from all the way the planets are going. And everybody knows we've had, you know, blood red moons and blue moons and orange moons and, you know, more in the last couple of years than any other time. And all of these changes are developing more cycles in our life. Our personal lives are very, very important. And how we work with that is going to make a difference. So it's just that that we have to really start buckling down and learning sustainability within ourselves. And then we become more powerful by balance. And so so
0: sustainability normally we we think of it in relation to uh, the planetary systems, ecological systems. So you're really talking about a person's energy ecology and yes. sustainability yes. of keeping on, keeping on um, in a more rational way.
1: Right. And the the meaning behind sustainability, actually, you'll see it differently in every definition of any kind of Webster dictionary or even in Wikipedia. But the sustainability means able to be used without being completely used up or mm-hmm. destroyed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a matter of understanding how to become. And, and this is what all of our speakers are talking about today is self-empowerment. Right. This is it. This is it. And in order to understand self-empowerment, you have to be able to go somewhere with it. You have to know internally how to do that. And so this is in my new book coming out. It's called The Spiritual Immune System Through Sustainability. And that's the new one that will be out at the end of August.
0: I think sustainability is particularly important for people who are called to be healers. A lot of people, whether they're giving Reiki or, or massage therapy or any other they are draining themselves rather than um, right. allowing the the universal energies to replace and replenish them
1: right honey and that's what the wheel teaches as well is because it's not about it's it's not about us healing anybody it's about people healing themselves and as your wonderful show actually explains it's everybody learning how to become responsible for your own healing and that's the ticket so if we work through sustainability then we have an we have the sustained ability (laughs) Mm -hmm. to become better people, to become stronger in our self-development, which is what we're all learning today. It doesn't matter who we are. We're all experiencing something new. And that's what I'm saying is that I've seen so many people lately that are burning out and, and it comes right through the physical body will go either into the nervous system or into the adrenal glands. And on many of these shows, there are people lined up to ask me questions because they're going through it. They're going, through the uh, having problems with their uh, adrenal glands in particular, which of course is stressing the entire system,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they're putting out too much effort. So the bottom line is, is people are still trying to run on the same effort they always have, whether it be in their jobs or taking care of everybody in their family, or you know it could be anything. But overcare is another issue, and so this is just like trying to be an overhealer, <laughs> like an overhealer. <laughs> <laughs> Overcare, care, over healer. Yeah. So this is why it's important to understand that. And we'll get there. You know, we're, we're getting there. But we, it's, it's time to learn. It's time to take a new course and to recognize more about who you are and what you're capable of. We all know Bruce Lipton, and we love, love Bruce Lipton. Bruce is talking all about very similar things within the cell. And how does the cell remain sustainable? You've actually done some courses together
0: with Bruce, haven't you?
1: I actually know Bruce a little bit from uh, meeting him a couple times and just loving the heck out of his work because he speaks from the scientific viewpoint and I, he's, he's putting out some new um, videos right now that you can actually go to and learn from. He always does that. He's just fantastic. But uh, I have actually known for years and years that Bruce and I have a very strong uh, compatibility. He what The way that he talks is the way that I talk. But he comes from the science viewpoint. I'll come from the, you might want to say, quantum shaman viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to have to go into that one. And it's a little fun. <laughs> But he's fabulous. Bruce actually um, was uh, a very dear friend of my old business partner. My business partner was John J. Harper. And many years ago, John, he passed away in 2010 on December 15th. But he'd been on Coast to Coast. He was on all kinds of shows. But he wrote the book Transformers, Shaman in the 21st Century. And John and I met on Facebook. And back in the day, like I was, I think, about in June of 2010, He found me and I found him. And I flew over to see him in Spokane, Washington. I did not know that this guy was so popular. I just figured he was a guy that needed some work and I was there to help him. (laughs) And then... When I got there, I went, holy mackerel. And he looked at me. He says, Mona, I need you. And I said, I think I need you too. And so we agreed to become business partners. And we were going to work together. And we were going to go out and do a lot of the things Greg and Bruce do. We were going to go out and do that together. Mm -hmm. He was already well-known. But he passed away in December of 2010. So Bruce was one of his best friends. And at that time, that's where I I knew about Bruce a lot, but I really got to study Bruce more because of John. And so that's when this came into play was when I was going, oh my gosh, we've got a gold mine here.
0: For anybody who may not have heard of Bruce Lipton, um, he is a, uh, was he University of Pittsburgh? Yes. Yeah. Um, On the faculty of... uh, Is it cellular microbiology, something like that? Cellular, yes.
1: Cellular uh, biology or microbiology. He talks a lot today about epigenetics. and, and, And the most important thing is he's got the science behind the action. So he's able to speak about how he has interpreted over all these years, from a Petri dish. So he can look at a Petri dish, and he can see the cells in there, and he says, oh, you got three cancer cells and one clean cell. What's that going to do? Eventually, the cancer cells are going to adapt to what the, the clean cell is, and the clean cell will eventually become the cancer cell. And it's the same way with three clean cells and a cancer cell. Eventually, the cancer cell can heal because of three clean cells. So what Bruce does is he discusses how he learned from a Petri dish a lot of what he knows today, he came into this with wisdom. So I love his work because, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, everything he says is on the target because I teach it. I've learned it. I've learned the hard way. So I know exactly what he's talking about because when I read energy in a human in any, or a dog or anybody else, I can read any kind of energy because that's the way I was born. Mm-hmm. But when I look at it and I can see it, then I can actually go right to the nitty-gritty as to what the cause is that's causing a condition in a human body. Yeah. He has a
0: DVD called The Biology of Belief, which I warmly recommend to everybody. Yes, me too. What's fascinating is to see how um, Bruce's work as a pioneer, he's been saying this for for over a decade, um, how this is all starting to be proven and entering the mainstream and yes. explaining things that people were not able to understand before.
1: That's right. That's right, honey. And the thing he's doing right now is he's he's going out there and some people think he's going out on a limb. I will tell you, I am right there with him because what he talks about is genes do not control our biology. And that is the most important statement ever. If we're going to learn anything, that's that one.
0: <laughs> OK, we will say it once more. Genes do not control our, control biology. our biology. Our thoughts do. <laughs> OK, we're going to take another break and then we'll be back with Mona Delfino. Mona, remind us of your
1: website. Okay, Miriam, it is sacredreconnections.com. Very good. You want to, okay, Sacred Reconnections with an We're S. an S. <laughs> 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 All right, you mentioned the term
0: a quantum healer. And in your book, you wrote, quote, the quantum aspect of healing is allowing a change in our belief systems with respect to knowledge we haven't learned yet. Could you explain that for us?
1: (laughs) Oh, who wrote that? They sounded so, (laughs) so incredibly important. Yes. Well, you know, the thing that I find is that with that statement, that quantum energy can be learned more how to work with it when we are able to connect what has gone on in our life and connect how we are accepting ourselves today. It's, it's, I'm just going to move a little bit beyond that statement. And I'm going to say Eckhart Tolle has one of the best statements. He says, when you live in complete acceptance of what is, that is the end of all drama in your life. Now, some people would disagree with that, but the truth is he's right on. And the reason I say that in my world is because when you accept what is happening, you start in the moment. When you live in the moment, then you're able to change anything. And you know what they always say? You can do anything in the moment. If you try to go in the past or the future it isn't going to work. You can have your goals. Good luck. What is that old saying? You can, you can have your, have your goal and God laughs or something like that. <laughs> good luck. You're going to have a lot more come your way. And it can be a very positive thing. The thing we do is we live to understand whether things are negative or positive. And even that is too much of an expectation. When we live through expectation, what we're doing is we're discovering that we only want that or we only want that. And we forget that there's a whole 90% other thing going on out there that is not within our little box. And so quantum energy is working with that whole other thing out there. In other words, trusting it. And the hard part is people have a hard time trusting. That's why you don't know what your possibilities are because you're trying to control it. Now, granted, there is that saying that, you know, you have to change your thinking to change your life. This is very true. But there's also another one. And I'm going to start it. I'm going to say you also have to accept your life. In order to change it, because you have to accept your thinking, you have to accept what you're doing, and then you can become the observer in what you're thinking. If you even take 10 minutes a day and you get quiet with yourself and you want to go inside and you really want to look at yourself, what you do is you stop thinking for just a few minutes, the thinking part of us has become entrained ever since we were children, right? So we were little kids at six years old trying to figure out how we were going to be, um, you know, living a good life with our parents and our sisters and our brothers. And, you know, we wanted to be accepted and loved. Well, you know, we all know where that goes sometimes, you know, it's kind of goes south. You don't always have what you think you get when you act a certain way, okay? Because other people have their issues. But at the time when we're six, it really comes into play because that's your informative years. And even Bruce talks about that, but it's a, it's a fact and it's also a truth. And so when we're little kids, we are now back on this planet and we are ready to rock. But how do we do that? How do we do that and stay acceptable in our community or in our environment? So we learn our behavior patterns at a very early age. And then those behavior patterns continue in life because we think that's what saved us or that was our survival mode. And when Whether it be conscious or subconscious, it's still there. We come in with a blueprint and then we think about it and we think, oh, but that's not working for us. So we better do it this way, you know, just to be acceptable. And what we find is that that doesn't work for us either because down the road when we become 17, 18 years old, I see it all the time with people. I've seen it with myself. When you get older, you start realizing that those ways of living are not necessarily going to help you in your relationships, You know, or raising a child or having a good job, a sustainable job that's going to keep you going. You know, how many people just keep moving from one job to another, to another, to another? Or how many people keep going from one relationship to another, to another, to another? And it's usually the same type. And that's why the pattern continues. So
0: uh, is what you're saying that you need to quiet your busy mind in order to listen to what your soul would like you to do, what your purpose really uh, put you here for?
1: Exactly. Going within is one of the easiest things to do, and it's one of the hardest things to do because it means you have to reprogram or retrain yourself to not think. What is meditation? You know, when you stop and think about it, it's very similar to meditation. But because people are in a very fast way today. It's hard to stay still. And so a lot of times you just have to make that time for yourself. Even if it's first thing in the morning, you can spend 10 to 15 minutes being quiet You don't have to know everything. It's not what we're about here because it's too much effort. It's too much work. So we're not about effort. We're about paying attention. And so sitting down and being still for at least 10 or 15 minutes is going to leave a little open door. There's a little more room now. That you can start receiving information, and just tell yourself that you're open to learn and mean it <laughs> and, uh, this is a really
0: important point that I want to explore just a little more deeply because uh every single teacher that i've had on this show has talked about the importance of meditation, and there is, in my view, a lot of misunderstanding about the point of meditation. Mm -hmm. It's not to receive some mystical call from above, your angels communicating or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's clearing the busyness of your mind so you can actually be in the world in a state of calmness and listen to and, and discover the um, the, the serendipitous synchronicities, the messages, the opportunities that are out there for you to be more you or the most you, you can be.
1: That's right. That's right, and that works better than anything because, like I said, uh, it's more important for people to be able to sit still for a little bit and stop judging yourself, stop judging about what you need to do and how you need to do it and, and going about and doing all this stuff out there. You know, it it's going to happen anyway. You're going to do it, but why not consider spending a few minutes in just quietness. It doesn't matter if the phone rings, turn it off. It doesn't matter if your dog barks, don't listen. You just go into your own space for a good 10 to 15 minutes. And if you do it every day at the same consistent time, then what happens is you start developing a new pattern. And then all you have to do is agree. I'm not kidding you. All you have to do is agree to listen differently in other words, start opening your yourself a little bit more. Now, that's not easy to do. So it's a process. It takes time. But if you give yourself that time, now, I'm also a, a trainer with HeartMath, the organization, uh, in the Institute of HeartMath. And they have several different ways of going into the heart and actually taking yourself down there and looking at peace, looking at yourself differently. And so there are definitely mechanisms that will work that way, tools, if you will, to help you to align with yourself differently rather than thinking you have to do all the stuff that's part of burnout that's what happens is we're getting to the point where things seem so busy and we don't know how to react or act anymore and that's the difficult part so just in that period of time it's just a whole new beginning you have studied so
0: many different forms of healing are there any that you use more than others
1: I would say um, all of them have had their benefits and every single one of them have been able to teach me something new that I teach to the, to the world or, or to my clientele. It's just uh, learning and accepting and recognizing. Recognition is the key. Um, I would say that it comes with the recognition of who you are and what you are learning and then how you develop that understanding of what you're learning. And so I, I've used to teach in Hawaii, Miriam. I taught with Papa K. Kepelino, who was fifth generation Kamehameha. And we taught for two years together. We were, I was as alakai, which means the assistant teacher. And so, you know, he was in a wheelchair. He had a big afro. He had no teeth and he would still talk like this. you know, And he loved people. And so Papa would be out there teaching to people the the whole value of what the Lomi Lomi was about. Now, Now, I will say this. One of the biggest ones I've learned was Lomi Lomi, because I must tell you that it's all about the aloha. If you learn aloha, it means acceptance and love. It means that there's no judgment. There's just looking at something And learning, is this the way I want to be? Is this the way I feel? And as you know, there's Ho'oponopono. And Ho'oponopono is a part of learning how to recognize, forgive, release, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So people go into that too. I wasn't real big into that. I I taught myself, actually, how to do my own questioning, my own understanding. And so I have my own way of doing Ho'oponopono. But everybody does have their own way. You know, some just go by the book, but they don't learn. They don't learn. So it has to come back within ourselves to be able to take that time once again and just allow yourself to be quiet. I am telling you, there's more information in the silence than there is in any talk in the world. (laughs) You had an amazing experience with Pele while you were in Hawaii. What was her message? Oh, boy. Uh, This was a very big deal. Um, Pele and i i didn't realize i was going to hawaii just really for her i didn't know this it, it was a contract we must have made many 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 lifetimes ago because when i got back there i had no money i had i was absolutely broke i had nothing i had given up thousands of clients to go back and learn with one of the most amazing teachers that i felt at that time was going to teach me more about the aloha so yeah bring it on you know so i get over there and um I started to become disillusioned. Um, I didn't, I had an expectation. And in that time period, I realized that my expectation was not um, working for me. So what I did is I ended up going to the mountain and I went over to the uh, Halimauma'u crater and that's in Hilo, in Hilo, Hawaii. So I would go there because Papa told me about her and he was telling me all about Pele. And so I thought, well, now I'm fascinated. I got to know I'm intrigued. You know, so I went over Tell there. Tell our and-
0: listeners who Pele is.
1: Pele is the volcano goddess, and she lives. There is, she is a soul. She is an entity. She is a divine spirit that has been holding Hawaii together for a million years, and that's who all the Hawaiians dance to. Whenever you see any kind of hula dance, it's always about the love of life, and it comes right back down to Pele. And so this is why this is such an important thing, because they feel that Pele is the one that holds their state together. And so this is why they celebrate her, and uh they have all of the bongas they use all of the um the beautiful conch shells they they have all of that, but a lot of it is because the the abundance on the islands are so amazing, and they hand that credit to Pele but what Pele told me uh, to answer your question and it's because She told me to put it in the book. So I listened and I did. And so, good girl. What? Yeah, I've sold a lot of books. (laughs) I didn't even know I was going to do that. Um, But what she said was, she said, 789,000 people have come to see me since you left me. Now, granted, I had been gone for two years when I went back to the um, island in 2009, I went back to visit her because she told me to move to Bend, Oregon. Believe it or not, that's why I'm here. And so she said, 789,000 people have come to see me since you left me. In that 789,000 people, not one has seen me. That broke my heart, broke my heart, because what was happening at that time, Miriam, was there was a lot of lava that was going from uh, the, uh, I believe it was the Halema'uma'u crater, and it was driving right down into the ocean. And it had been going off for some time, but this one had a different finger. It went strictly into the ocean where people could go see. And so there was, a, at that time, in 2006, 2007, there were a lot of people flocking right down to the ocean so they could see the lava going in, a lot of helicopter's going around. It was an it was a fabulous time. But few years later when I got this message I had asked Pele what does this mean because there were so many people and I get it through the messages believe it or not there's a bird that flies around and it's one bird one bird with has uh, beautiful wings it looks like an aerodynamic seagull (laughs) but it it flies around the crater and uh, when I talked to Pele that bird would show up every single time and I was there every two weeks for two years and so when I would listen to her every story Everything she told me was right on the money. So this was a time period where I already realized who Pele was. And when I heard this story, I thought, what does that mean that, you know, that many people have never seen her? And so what I got out of that, I asked her some more, and she started talking about Atlantis and Lemuria. She says, people are so hung up on Atlantis and Lemuria, they're not seeing that I'm starting a new island. I'm starting a new island out there. And so this is for the people who are coming into the new Aloha spirit we will have a new Aina. And then you can start living from this one. And then the old, old fighting and the old memories from the ground don't have to affect you. So that's what she was doing. She was birthing a new Aina, which is an island in Hawaiian. And so this why that's what she told me. So, So anyway, that was what I got. And I put it in the book so that we could start learning more about what truly it means to live in Aloha.
0: Well, I think that this is a time for birthing a new kind of, of uh, consciousness island that yes. people are awakening to, and as a healer, one y- you tell some incredible stories in your book of, of healing i don 't think we can even scratch the surface of them true, but <laughs> what I want to bring out or have you bring out is the essence of how
1: people can heal my first reaction to that is we need to work together Um, part of it is that it's by the people for the people you know that doesn't just go for what we call a government that goes within the human race we got to work together healing means allowing once again it means connection and the connection within each other is beautiful because we need each other to heal you know it's going to be more important in the future I believe Miriam for people to know that it's called simplicity and our personalities are going to be more in the sense of attracting more and more people that are like us so when people feel like they're alone how many times have you heard people say oh there's I feel like a misfit I feel like I don't belong here well it's true they don't feel like they belong here but that's changing because what's happening is the frequency of the earth is changing people are changing. That's why the world's going through so many challenges right now. But you know what, if you stop and think about it, it's actually for the best. It's no different than our friend, Greg Braden, who says, you know, if it wasn't happening, how would we know we had something to heal? And so my suggestion is, you work with people, you talk to people, you you, you understand more, you spend your time with yourself for 10 to 15 minutes, you get quiet, and you don't judge it's too hard to say that you can learn through judgment because judgment leads to expectation. And as we all know, that doesn't work. So, so we're in a new time period. And in order to heal, it means we have to take responsibility and it can be as simple as listening, listening to yourself, personal identification. When you hear these speakers today talking about, you know, just be yourself or get to know who you are, who are you? You know, how many people can answer that today? Mm. It's like, well, the first thing they say is, well, I have this job and I do this and I'm a healer and I know, oh, no, no, go into who are you? (laughs) Who are you? And that is the hardest question to answer. So my suggestion is take some time with that and start recognizing that it's okay to have flaws. It's okay. It's part of our growing up. And if we don't learn how to grow up, then we're going to stay stuck as a child having a temper tantrum. So it's important to understand that we're in a period of time of development and not to take it personally. It's all about what Don Miguel Ruiz says, in his four directions, agreements. Four, agreements. four agreements. Yeah, yeah. See, they, and yeah. and one of the things that you said,
0: well, you know, they say heal or heal thyself. I think a lot of healers become healers because they're trying to heal something inside of them. But that also yes, makes them more sensitive to the needs of others, and so they can act as a mirror. That that's a point that you made in the book that I think mm-hmm. is so valuable. Yes, that we feel so isolated and alone. And this really is a time for coming together and acting as a mirror of love for other people.
1: Then you don't have to do it alone. The most important thing is people feel alone, Miriam. And right now, that's what I've been experiencing is they feel alone. And and this is something that must change, I feel. In in humanity, we got to go back to simplicity. Simplicity is about just simple identification. It's the Occam's razor we talk about. It's always going back to the simplest solution is always the best, always the finest, And so we're learning how to do that. But we have to recognize not to take personally our old identity and the way that we've always been because it's too stressful. We don't want that anymore. Stress is not what we're about. We are creators. And you've shown in your book that simply by
0: reflecting to some of your clients what it is that they're holding, they can
1: choose to change it. Yes, they can. absolutely. Okay, here's the best statement ever. We're making it all up. (laughs) We're making all this up. So if we can make it up, we can change it, right? <laughs> That's the way we have to talk about that, is just go ahead and realize that we're taking life too seriously. The best thing my mentor ever told me, my beautiful Cherokee mentor, Karen Land, the one best thing she told me was, I said to her, I go, isn't anything sacred? <laughs> and she and, and she looked at me, she said, laughter, honey. Laughter is sacred. Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> no. Yeah, I keep on telling people what a fantastic healer you are. Give us at least one anecdote of of one of your favorite healing sessions.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. I will give you one anecdote. Okay. I had a little girl come in to see me. Her mother was, a, her mother was a, a beautiful lady who had four children. And this is in the book. So if anybody wants to get that book, Sacred Language of the Human Body, it's in there. It's a story of a little girl that was one years old. I have never been intimidated by a child, but this child intimidated me. She <laughs> was absolutely one of the most fabulous people. And she was as angry as heck. And she wanted to let everybody know she was angry. And then the other thing she she did she cling to her mother and uh, and the mother actually found out that I was working in this uh, chiropractic office <laughs> and that I was doing healing work in a chiropractic office and we also had an acupuncturist and it was great so there I am working and here they come in mother and this little baby and this little blonde is just like clinging clinging to mother and she goes see this is what I have to deal with she goes I heard that you do shaman work she goes how can you get this off of me <laughs> and I went I said oh my goodness and I looked at her and I started to come Kind of look, I said, oh, my God, but she wouldn't let me talk to her. So I told the mother, I said, well, we can't stop her from wanting to be with you. So let's find out what's going on. I had the mother sit down on the massage table, had the baby sit in her lap. Now, here was the problem. Not only was she ang- angry and clingy, but she also had a, a big cyst that she was born with. Remember, this child is only a year old. She had a cyst that was in her buttocks on the right side, and it was big. It was as big as her little cheek. And the doctors wanted to go in and they wanted to categorize it. They wanted to take it out. And I thought, oh, dear, I know for a fact you don't take those kinds of things out. You have to learn why they're there, first of all, and then you can think about it. But but here's what happened. The child sat there with the mother. I ran my hand underneath the child's bottom just because that's exactly what we had to do. So she had her diaper on. I put my left hand, which is the receiving side, left is receiver, right's the giver, put my left hand on there, and I started to develop some information. What had happened was I almost fell down to the ground. It hurt so bad. This child felt abandoned like I have never in my life worked on anybody with this kind of abandonment. So she was clingy for a reason. Angry because by the time I got her, what had happened was she was just becoming old enough to recognize that she was going to be left again somewhere along the way. Now, when I really looked at her Uh, energy. And I looked down into her past. I saw her in the womb and I saw her at five months old in in uterine. And what had happened was she lost a twin sister and here's the cyst and cyst is short for sister. And so they were touching at that particular place in their little bodies. They were touching at the buttocks. And so she developed a cyst to keep the energy of the sister Isn't that interesting from, it's fascinating. And so I was getting down, but, oh, I couldn't even stand up. That poor baby was so abandoned. So I told the mother, I just said, you know, this is what the situation, I said, she was a twin, wasn't she? And the mom said, yes. I said, there's your problem. So what we did is I, I, gave the little girl a crystal and I blew in the energy of being independent and that was the oldest one. So the one that lived was the oldest and that's the beauty of that story. She developed into a beautiful child, and she's beautiful today. Oh, my goodness. I knew we were going to run
0: out of time. We've been speaking <laughs> to Mona Delfino, the author of Sacred Language of the Human Body. Mona, thank you so much. Thank you, Miriam. It's been a pleasure being with you and your <laughs> audience. Thanks again. Stay, join us next week. on Miriam Knight. Thank you for listening. Oh, and visit my website, ncreview.com. If you like this show, visit our Facebook page and let us know. Many blessings. Goodbye.